Welcome to our mini-series, Consider Him. This week, we're going to be talking about Jesus, the Merciful. Digging out my trusty BBC English dictionary, I see that mercy is described in there. If you show mercy to someone, you do not punish them or treat them as severely as you could. And merciful... If you describe an event or a situation as merciful, you mean that it seems fortunate, especially because it stops someone suffering. 2 Samuel chapter 15 verse 20 tells us that mercy is on them that fear, respect and hold in reverence the Lord. That sounds like salvation to me. Hosea chapter 6 verse 6 tells us that the Lord desires mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Pretty early on in our ministry, my wife and I were invited to another church to support my friend and his father as they were holding a memorial service for his mother who had recently died. So there I was sitting in church and thinking of the many, many hours we'd spent ministering into our friend's life because of the way his relationship with his parents had gone. His father was a disturbed character. And I must admit I was finding it very hard not to be angry at the cruelty his father had shown him. In counselling, he told us of one occasion when his dad completely lost his temper and had pitched a javelin towards my friend. And it was only the grace of God that saved him as the javelin whistled past his ear and stuck into a fence. I must admit to being a bit apprehensive over meeting this man who was in a bad way, possibly uh, oppressed, And I was praying that as a dad, I didn't cause that sort of damage to my family. We had been invited for lunch. And as I sat in the church, I saw this verse illuminated on the wall from Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It was a message straight from the throne room to me. Many Christians today battle with judgmentalism, which is the opposite of mercy. In fact, I've found, sadly, that the world is sometimes more lenient than church people are. We tend to judge others far too harshly. God is not like that. In studying the rabbinical system of justice, which I have been lately, one finds that the requirements for a judge to be much more stringent than the secular systems of law in this land. Any possibility of an angry judge holding office and being allowed to preside and passing a harsh sentence 
is carefully removed. The same goes for witnesses. These men and women have to study for a very long time and prove to be living a most holy life, even to be considered for training as a rabbinical judge. The whole system is based on restoring the person to the community rather than condemning them. In fact, I'm told by my friend, himself one of the very few messianic rabbis, that even though excommunication is allowed to be imposed in the case of moral failure or ongoing sin, and even after this, if the person refuses to repent, the awesome last option available is to hand the person over to Satan, as in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 5, this prayer is almost never used. Judaism believes that as soon as a person starts to repent, they are deemed by heaven as completely righteous. So it is easy to see why this step is enacted so infrequently. Essentially, even in this case, the hope is that by experiencing a little of hell in this life, the person will repent. However, for both justice and mercy to exist together, there has to be both truth and kindness. For God is a God of both. And the aim is always to bring restoration. In the church, we've all seen situations where Christians had a complaint against each other, but nowhere to go to seek a righteous and impartial solution. This is a defeat for us all. We need justice to be present, as well as mercy to be present, especially when we're talking about finances and morality. God does not exact punishment on those who will repent to turn around and to change their mind. For the whole purpose of the death of Christ is to redeem mankind, not to condemn us. We can sometimes forget that Jesus expressly said that he came to uphold both the law and the prophets. Jesus demonstrated his father's character perfectly in this life. He was a perfect picture of both justice and mercy. There are two stories which illustrate this. The first one in Matthew chapter 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. He said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened, as Jesus sat at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus explained that he had come to minister to the sinners, not to the righteous, and then said, quoting from Hosea, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. One of my favourite stories in the New Testament comes from John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. It's a story that we all know pretty well. It's the story of the woman caught in adultery. And I think this is one of the most beautiful stories in all of the Gospels. Let me read it to you. 
Early in the morning, the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in their midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that she should be stoned. But what do you say? This was such a serious matter that the death sentence was normally imposed. But as usual, the Pharisees and Sadducees were trying to compromise Jesus. They wanted him to say something out of his mouth which they could use to twist and condemn him with. They must have heard that he had said he came not to abolish both the law and the prophets, but to uphold them in Matthew 5, and were trying to trap him so as to accuse him. Instead of speaking straight away, Jesus stooped and started to write in the ground as if he wasn't listening. And only when they persisted, he gave them their answer. And what an amazing answer it was. He did not forbid them to uphold the commandment of Moses, but instead said, He who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. What wisdom and what grace Jesus displayed. For in a few words he had both upheld the law and showed God's merciful heart. It's very interesting, actually, when you look at the story, that he bent down and continued to write in the ground. Have you ever wondered what he was writing? Could it have been a record of their sins? So we must be very, very careful with what measure we relate to our neighbours. For the measure we use will be measured back to us. Truth must be aligned with mercy. One of my hopes and wishes for the Christian community is that one day our churches will have men and women who are qualified to bring disputes into a conclusion in a very impartial way. It will take some very brave and very whole people to do that. Remember that Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 tells us that God is rich in mercy. And Matthew 5 verse 7 tells us that the merciful shall obtain mercy. With the measure you use, it will be paid back to you. So in conclusion, talking about Jesus, our faith, we need to make a decision to take a step of faith by inviting Jesus in. Remember, it's not irrational, it's a step of faith based on evidence, and the Holy Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are children of God and that we're loved by him. Let's just conclude by having a look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 15 and 16. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Join me next week in the Power Hour for our series, Consider Him. In the meantime, God bless you and be kind to each other.